criminal charges should be filed in the tragic shooting death on a New Mexico film set. No question about it. No one should ever die during the production of a movie. And yes, accidents do happen, but not without mistakes that are so egregious that they can rise to the level of criminal culpability. Even accidents causing an unintended death can be homicides under the law. The sheriff investigating this case went even further when he said, quote, I wouldn't call it an accident at all. It's a criminal investigation. And he's right. The only questions unanswered at the moment are who exactly will be charged and for what crime. The crime part is easier to solve. When someone is killed because of reckless and grossly negligent conduct, that's involuntary manslaughter, otherwise known as criminally negligent homicide. It's the failure to exercise due care to ensure the safety of other people. I'll give you some examples. Driving a car at a ridiculously high rate of speed on a city street. Texting while driving. Leaving a heavy flower pot on a ledge above a busy sidewalk during heavy winds. Giving dangerous drugs to a friend. These are all reckless acts that show a complete disregard for the safety of others. If someone dies as a direct consequence, it constitutes the crime of manslaughter. Sadly, one of the most common instances of manslaughter involves the mishandling of firearms. That's exactly what happened on the set of the movie Rust when actor Alec Baldwin was handed a gun by an assistant director who yelled out, cold gun, meaning that the weapon was not loaded with ammunition, including blanks. Sadly, a bullet was inside the gun's chamber. That was a deadly mistake preceded by a long list of wrongful acts by a variety of people. As Baldwin was rehearsing a scene where he draws the gun from a holster, it suddenly and unexpectedly fired a bullet that killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins and wounded the director, Joel Souza. It should never have happened. Yet it did happen, because several people connected to this low-budget production made irresponsible and careless decisions that endangered the crew. The law must hold them now accountable. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times bestselling author, this is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. By now, you've all heard me talk about my pillow, and now Mike has done it again by introducing his new my slippers. Mike has taken over two years to develop. It's designed to wear indoors, outdoors, all day long, made with my pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue. Made with quality leather suede. For a limited time, Mike is offering forty percent off his new my slippers. The My Slippers are so comfortable, you'll want to get some for the whole family. I love mine. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Square and use promo code GREG, G-R-E-G-G. 
You will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream Bed Sheets, the MyPillow Mattress Topper, and MyPillow Towel Sets, or just call 1-800-544-8939 and use promo code GREGG. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Without a doubt, criminal charges should be brought against certain individuals in the shooting death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the set of the movie Rust. Just who should be charged? That's a more difficult question. To help answer it, let's consider the relevant facts developed so far. A young novice with scant training in the use of firearms was hired as the armorer on the set who's responsible for the handling of all guns. Identified as Hannah Gutierrez, she had admitted during a recent podcast that she was still learning and expressed doubt about her own competency. For the same job, the producers interviewed a highly trained, experienced, licensed armorer, but offered the position to Gutierrez instead. Why? likely because she was cheaper. This suggests that the safety of the crew was sacrificed to save money. Also, there was live round ammunition on or near the set. This should never have been allowed under any circumstances. There were two prior accidental gun discharges on the set of Rust, as well as numerous complaints about safety. There's compelling evidence that guns were not scrupulously checked, double-checked, and properly secured during the production in clear violation of safety standards in the industry. The gun that killed Hutchins was allegedly used for offset target practice just hours before the fatal shooting. It's possible that a live round was left in the pistol that was then handed to Baldwin. The assistant director, Dave Halls, who handed the actor the weapon, admitted to law enforcement that he failed to fully check the firearm, even though he declared it a cold gun. That same assistant director was fired from another movie set due to an accidental shooting that injured a crew member. And on a different film project, he was the subject of a complaint involving gun safety. Now, based on these known facts, Gutierrez and Halls are certainly most at risk of being criminally charged. But what about Alec Baldwin? A criminal indictment against him cannot be ruled out, although it is less likely. Let's remember that Baldwin is a veteran actor. Why didn't he check the gun himself before using it? Did he watch someone else check the gun before he took possession of it? Actors are required to follow strict rules issued by the union representing them, known as Actors' Equity Association. These rules state that when firearms are used on set, the actor handling the gun must first be trained in its safe use. And here's the most important part. Quote, Treat all guns as if they're loaded and deadly. 
Check the firearm every time you take possession of it. And before each use, make sure the gun has been test-fired offstage and then ask to test-fire it yourself. End of quote. It does not appear that Alec Baldwin followed his union's rules. They also state that he must actually watch the armorer or prop master check the cylinders and barrel to make sure there is no bullet inside. There's no evidence this was done. But Baldwin was not just an actor relying on the mistaken assurances of the assistant director who gave him the gun. No, Baldwin willingly assumed greater authority for the production as the on-location producer. This added responsibility carries with it an increased duty to ensure the safety of the film crew. An argument could be made that Baldwin was running an out-of-control and reckless set. Both the armor and the assistant director should never have been hired, given their respective track records. But that's not all. The earlier gun mishaps on the set would put a cautious producer on notice that there was serious danger afoot and that lives might be in jeopardy, and yet it appears that little effort, if any, was made to investigate what happened. The production should have been shut down until corrective action was taken. Did Baldwin not hear crew members shooting real bullets at tin cans during target practice? Did he fail to institute and enforce rules that forbid the presence of live rounds anywhere near the set? If not, why not? These are common-sense steps that a reasonably prudent producer would take to protect his or her employees. Hutchins' death was both foreseeable and preventable. She would be alive today but for the reckless and grossly negligent act of others. Those acts constitute crimes. Joining me now to talk about it is Dr. John Lott, Jr., He's an economist who served in the Trump administration as senior advisor for research and statistics at the Department of Justice. He's held academic positions at several prestigious universities across America. He holds a Ph.D. in economics from UCLA, but he's also well-versed on guns and gun safety. He's president of the Crime Prevention Research Center and wrote a book entitled More Guns, Less Crime. Dr. Lott, Thanks for being with me. I've laid out for our listeners some of the known and relevant facts developed so far by investigators in the Baldwin shooting. And and based on that, I've concluded, at least as a lawyer, that this kind of tragedy doesn't happen without some criminal culpability based on multiple acts of gross negligence and recklessness, which under the law, would constitute crimes. Now, I know you're not a lawyer, but what's your general impression of what happened that tragic day? Right. Well, I mean, I agree with you. I think uh, there's lots of mistakes made by different people, but ultimately uh, the responsibility, anybody who knows basic gun safety, is with the person who's finally handling the gun that's there. Uh, They can't just rely on other people to go and make sure that the gun isn't loaded with live ammunition. To be honest, I'm not even sure I understand why live ammunition was around there uh, at the time. But 
the person who's handling the gun, who's who's pulling the trigger, uh, you know, there's certain rules that you have. And the first rule of gun safety is that you don't point a gun uh, at someone uh, unless you're intending to actually go and use the gun or uh, against them. And that's clearly was violated in this case. I mean, even people that know that uh, when you have uh, uh, the types of rounds that aren't live uh, ammunition, uh, you can go and kill people. There have been, over the last uh, few decades, maybe a half dozen or so more actors that have been killed in different types of filming, uh, even with blanks that are being used. Uh, you know, you have force that comes out. Uh, there's an explosion that occurs, even with a blank. Uh, there's a little piece of metal at the end of the blank, and that can go and kill people. So uh, you have to be very careful, even with uh, even with using blanks. And I would think someone who's been in acting for 40 years, uh, who's used guns in many, many uh, movies and, uh, uh, you know, uh, different types of things that he's done over time uh, would be familiar with even the most basic uh, types of gun safety type rules that are there. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And in point of fact, um, he he is a veteran actor, Alec Baldwin. He's a member of the union known as Actors Equity Association. Um, and all you have to do is go to their website and they lay out in intimate detail uh, what actors are supposed to do when they're presented with a firearm on a set. And they have to follow strict rules that are issued by the union. And these rules state that when firearms are used on set, the actor handling the gun, the actor, must first be trained in its safe use. Every time you're doing a movie, you have to be trained again. And here's the most important part, and I'll read it verbatim, Dr. Lott. Quote, treat all guns as if they are loaded and deadly. Check the firearm every time you take possession of it. Before each use, make sure the gun has been test fired off stage, and then ask to test fire it yourself. End of quote. Now, you know, Dr. Lott, it doesn't appear that Baldwin followed the union rules, which also state that he must actually watch the armor or the prop master check the cylinders in the barrel to make sure that there's no bullet inside. And apparently he didn't do that. So purely as an actor, setting aside the, the point that he was also on location producer, but as an actor... He bears responsibility, doesn't he? That's the most basic rule of gun safety, that the person who's handling the gun is ultimately responsible for anything that happens with the gun that's there. Look, even if the armor that was there didn't have a lot of experience, didn't even know that she was supposed to go and, and do all those different types of things that you went through, uh, he has presumably over 40 years uh, been involved with many well-seasoned, uh, experienced armors who would have gone through that time after time after time. And he would have known that this person wasn't doing all the things that she was supposed to do if she wasn't doing it. 
and uh, would have, at this point in his life, been able to go and do them themselves if it was absolutely necessary. I mean, it's not that difficult uh, for a revolver like that just to go and check to make sure that the, you know, there's no live rounds in there. Uh, and, you know, you think, but in any case, there's multiple basic rules that are there. You're not going to point the gun at somebody unless you intend on using it. Even with blanks, you can go and harm somebody. Uh, and it doesn't seem like he's done any of those things. But I also think that the executive producer role that he had, as you mentioned, you haven't gone into yet, but also was very important in this. Yeah. Before I get to that, um, describe the difference between a live round with a bullet and that of a blank. I've seen pictures of it. Um, I don't own a gun, don't have bullets, but uh, the pictures are, are pretty abundantly clear that the casing uh, has a bullet in a live round. A, a blank has the bullet removed. It's a hollowed casing. Uh, right. Are they easy to distinguish? Oh, it's. I mean, it's impossible not to be able to distinguish between the two. Look, you have, let's say, basically three parts to uh, these bullets, whether it's a blank or uh, a live round. And that is you have a casing, okay? You have uh, the explosive charge that's there. And then you'll have uh, the actual bullet itself on top of the, 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 the explosive or not. And if you don't have that, you'll see it'll be indented there'll be maybe a, a, a cover over the explosive there, and that can actually do harm if that comes loose in, in a particular way and is fired as a projectile. But it's not going to do the type of damage or harm that an actual bullet's going to do there at the top. You know, the bullet is a lump of metal uh, that, has, uh, that has weight and will do real damage if it hits somebody. Uh, the other, though... As I say, has there have been a half dozen or so times over the last few decades where actors have been killed uh, with blanks? Yeah, most notably the Brandon Lee shooting on set during a film in which somebody failed to check the barrel. There was a fragment of a bullet lodged, and when the blank fired, it dislodged the fragment, uh, ejecting it from the gun and killing. Uh, the actor Brandon Lee. Right. Uh, I mean, there have been other cases. Uh, you know, there's well-known case, alias Smith and Jones. One of the actors there was playing around with a gun. It had a blank, but he pointed it at his head, and he killed himself uh, when he pressed the trigger that was there. So, you know, it's there have been a number of cases. So you would think an actor would have heard of those types of cases, uh, these occurred while uh, uh, Baldwin has been an actor. Uh, and, you know, there are reasons why the union has put in the types of rules uh, that you were reading there, because they know these types of tragedies had occurred. Uh, you're, you're not talking about a replica gun. You're talking about a real gun uh, here. And uh, you're talking about real explosive charges that are being used. Uh, and unfortunately, those rules weren't followed. To what extent does the fact that Alec Baldwin was not just an actor, but the on-location producer, change his responsibility? 
Well, uh, it's, you know, I think it makes a huge difference. Uh, you know, even if he wasn't the actor who had pulled the gun he, uh, and pulled the trigger, he still would have had responsibility. He's the one who hired the armor. He's the one, presumably, when these other accidental discharges occurred on set, uh, would have had some responsibility for overseeing those discharges that had occurred and to make sure that after the first time it didn't happen again, after the second time uh, that something would have been done to assure that there weren't going to be other discharges like that. Uh, he's the one who's in charge ultimately is the executive producer for hiring the people uh, that are there. And so if somebody doesn't have responsibility or they're not up to the job or they're making statements that they're uh, unsure of how they're supposed to do the job, uh, then he has some responsibility uh, to either replace them or to try to ameliorate those types of concerns that were being raised. Right. <clears throat> I tried cases for years. I can just hear the words of a prosecutor echoing in my ears uh, saying, the production should have been shut down immediately, and those two gun mishaps should have been investigated thoroughly and corrective actions taken. Failure to do so is recklessness and gross negligence on the part of the on-location producer. That sound about right to you? I, I can hear those words myself. So, uh, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Look, uh, there's a lot of responsibility that people who are running organizations face, but I could just imagine somebody like Baldwin, what he would say if uh, an executive for a company uh, you know, some other type of company had uh, hired people, uh, had instances where, you know, there had been significant problems prior to some major accident had occurred and hadn't uh, dealt with it properly. I would imagine somebody like Baldwin would have been at the forefront of calling for the executive's head in, in those cases. And so, you know, the issue is, do those same rules apply to someone like him? And again, there's a reason why organizations such as the union uh, have put out the very detailed statements that you were reading beforehand. This is not something that's unforeseen. And there's certain types of obligations you face in terms of taking certain standards of care uh, that he would have been obligated to take in this case. And I could just hear the defense attorney for Baldwin saying, my client was never made aware of the two previous accident, accidental gun discharges, to which the prosecutor would rebut as follows. It's just uh, a responsible, prudent on-location producer would have put procedures in place to make sure right. that he was made aware of something so incredibly dangerous as two accidental gun discharges on a film set. No, I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say. So I just, you know, you're supposed to set up an organization so that it protects against these types of mishaps. Look, while, while it's true that you have, you know, a half dozen of these types of uh, deaths from these types of discharges over the decades, uh, you know, there's a reason why guns are used a lot in movies and television shows, and yet the number of mishaps that you have uh, is relatively small as a percentage of all the TV shows and movies that use guns. 
And so you must presume that in the vast majority of these cases, uh, they've set up certain procedures uh, and followed them uh, to make sure that these types of things don't happen. My understanding is that even these accidental discharges were extremely unusual uh, for any type of movie set or TV show. You just don't see these types of accidental discharges occur. And, uh, and so that goes and raises questions about why this particular setup was uh, organized the way it was. Yeah. Um, if any good can come from this sad story, it, it strikes me that it would be uh, an improvement in safety protocols on film sets. Frankly, I think there ought to be an outright abolition of uh, live round ammunition. Bullets should be nowhere near the vicinity of a movie set. And in fact, I think they ought to abolish the use of authentic guns uh, loaded with blanks on movie sets um, because there's no no need for it. And in fact, a, a select few movie producers in Hollywood have undertaken bans on their sets. No such weapons. Not real guns. They must be prop guns that are designed in such a way so that you cannot put bullets or even blanks in the gun. And and with today's digital technology, they can produce the same visual and audio effect without the lethal danger. Would you agree? Well, you know, on your first part about live ammunition, there's like no reason in the world why you should have live ammunition on these types of sets. Uh I can't, it's beyond me to try to think of what possible gain you could have from having live ammunition that's there. Uh, with regard to whether you're going to have real guns or not, uh, my understanding is that uh, a lot of these movies and TV sets, when you're talking about close round use of guns, have kind of, well, lack of a better word, kind of fake guns that can go and do things like fire sparks out of the end of the gun when a trigger is pulled. And so, uh, you know, I'm sure you can have digital enhancement or something like that, but there's lower tech ways uh, that people have dealt with these types of, uh, you know, filming in the past. Uh, and they've been able to do that in many places quite adequately. Uh I mean, I have lots of problems with the way uh, movies and TVs handle the gun issues. I mean, I'll just give you one example. Uh, over the last season uh, for TV shows, about 80% of the cop police shows on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox uh, used machine guns uh, in, uh, that the criminals were firing. Uh, if you look since 1934, there have been two... Uh, murders in the United States involving machine guns. But if you go and you watch TV shows, you right. would think the vast majority of times that criminals are using guns, they're using machine guns. Uh, and, you know, the terminology on the t TV shows, we'll talk about AR-15s and then show a machine gun being used. You know, uh, it's really misleads people. I mean, because they're you know, they use a term for a semi-automatic rifle and then go and show a machine gun. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I could go down the list, but there's lots of 
misinformation about guns that are out there that really, I think, uh, does viewers a disservice. But, uh, you know, I understand maybe they make it lively or what have you, but you compare something like uh, SWAT, the current incarnation of it, versus what it was in the 70s. Uh, it was much more realistic back in the 1970s than it is now. So uh, the assistant director who handed Baldwin the gun, and he shouldn't have been doing that, that's a violation of protocols, it has to be the armor or the prop master. So the AD gives Baldwin the gun that's used in this tragic uh, shooting. And this is a guy who'd been fired from a different film for an accidental shooting that injured, injured a crew member. On top of that, uh, he was the subject of safety complaints on yet another film. Right. Would you agree that this guy should not have been hired? Well, it seems that way, but I have to say there's uh, other problems. The armorer shouldn't have handled it to handed it to him. The armorer should have known what her job was in right. terms of who she was supposed to hand it to. And if he had asked for it to be handed directly to him, her job was to say, no, uh, you know, I'm supposed to hand this directly to the actor. Uh, so, you know, it's not just his fault. Uh, uh, you know, even if he had requested it, there were other rules that were being broken there. Yeah, the armorer allegedly told police that she set three guns on a cart and that it was the AD who went over and picked up one of the guns. Now, that sort of suggests that she wasn't standing there next to the cart, and there is a report that she wasn't next to the cart because of COVID rules. Um you know, if COVID rules are getting in the way of uh, a procedure that is supposed to ensure the safety of crew members, then you shouldn't be shooting. You know, I mean, you shouldn't be shooting the production. If you can't do it safely, if you're going to leave guns abandoned on a cart, unsecured, so that anybody can pick it up or anybody can surreptitiously uh, put a bullet in, in place of a blank. I mean, that's, that's a dangerous instrumentality and a dangerous production set, wouldn't you think? I, I would think so. Uh, you know, again, that comes down to the responsibility for the executive producer uh, in terms of how things are organized there. Uh, and, uh, you know, they ultimately have responsibility uh, for making sure that, you know, the rules are followed there, or setting up uh, procedures to make sure that rules are going to be followed. I watched an interview with a veteran licensed armorer uh, who is probably in the industry one of the most experienced and highly trained armorers. And the producers of this film interviewed him uh, and to take the job as the licensed armorer on the set of this movie, Rust. And he said he would take it, but they never offered the position to, to this highly skilled and experienced armor. Instead, they give it to probably the most inexperienced armor available. And I have to uh, draw the conclusion. They, they did it to save money. They sacrificed the safety of the crew and in the end, the life of the cinematographer to save a buck. 
I mean, how reprehensible is that? Right. Well, it's something the executive producer and others who were involved in the decision making are going to have to live with. Look, you know, people who do hiring make trade-offs all the time. I do data research and uh, I could make a decision to go and hire somebody who I don't think is very competent at doing the data, uh, you know, or I could pay more and hire somebody who's going to be careful and understand uh, the trade-offs and putting data together. Uh, if I decide to save a few dollars and uh, end up hiring somebody who makes mistakes and putting the data together, uh, what am I going to do? Am I going to go and if people attack me, for having uh, a poorly done study because I have inaccurate data that's there? What am I supposed to do? Go and blame the person that I hired to put the data together? I, w I don't think that would be very useful, and I don't think it would protect my reputation very much. I think I would be the one who would be tarred with putting out a study that much more than the person who put the f data together improperly uh, Besides that, I'd be responsible for checking the data anyway. I mean, if I did hire somebody, hopefully, I mean, I've been in this as long as uh, Adam, as Baldwin has been involved in acting. You know, I'm, I have some knowledge of what people should do when they're putting data together. I'd be responsible for that. I'd be responsible for checking it, and I'd be responsible for the final product that comes out. Final question. Here's what I worry about. Uh, for example, in the Brandon Lee shooting case, the district attorney said, well, there were lots of acts of negligence and carelessness, but it doesn't rise to the level of criminally reckless homicide uh, and no charges were brought. And I think that was was the wrong decision. And I and I think it it was terrible because it. it that case did not act as a deterrent uh, to future film set cases. Um, had charges been brought, I, I, I think that would have given executive producers and producers and even actors pause uh, about the handling, the proper handling of guns. And I worry the district attorney here may make a similar decision. Uh, I'm convinced that, you know, charges should be brought it's pretty obvious to me, as I've said, that uh, I think against the armor uh, for uh, recklessness and gross negligence against the assistant director, um, I'm inclined to think that Baldwin should also be charged simply because both as an actor and as an on-location producer, he bears responsibility. He should have done things he didn't do. And as a consequence, uh, a young woman lost her life. Um, are you worried about that, too? I mean, I, I, I guess I'm worried about it because of who Baldwin is. Uh, I guess I've gotten to the point when I was working in the Department of Justice and other places that I'm beginning to think that there are different standards of justice for different people out there. Um, I can just say that I've seen plenty of cases of negligence, uh, criminal negligence cases being brought against people who accidentally fire a gun and, uh, and kill or wound somebody else, uh, where they could have gone and made similar types of statements in terms of defenses that were there. 
And, uh, you know, I just have a hard time believing that uh, this case doesn't rise for both the reasons of the responsibilities that the person who's actually pulling the trigger of the gun uh, faces, as well as the person who's responsible for doing the hiring and doing the organization of, uh, of the set that's there. And so, I don't know. I mean, to me, it seems like a no-brainer. I mean, nobody, I mean, does my heart go out to Baldwin? And I'm sure he feels absolutely horrible. And I have absolutely no doubt that it was an accident. But, you know, if I go and I drive drunk, or if I go and, uh, you know, fire a gun up in the air, and even though I'm not aiming at somebody, and somebody gets hurt, uh, you want to make sure that people are held responsible for those actions so that people, as you say, deterrence is important. It's an important part of our criminal justice system. If people didn't think that they were going to get caught by police, you're going to see a lot more crime. I mean, just look at Chicago. Chicago, I mean, people talk about the high number of murders and shootings that you have. Less than 20% of murders in Chicago result in an arrest. Nationwide, it's like 64%. And if you're a gang member, the probability of being arrested uh, is even lower than on average there. So is it really shocking that maybe if you're talking about something around 10% or maybe a little bit higher of gang murders uh, result in arrest and even a lower probability? I mean, given the prosecutor, the district attorney there and the county isn't prosecuting many of these, uh, all these cases, that people are going to go and commit more crime? Yeah, I mean, it's a simple point. If if you want to deter crime, you have to make it risky for criminals to go and commit crime. And it applies not just to regular criminals, but it applies to people in general who are taking risky behavior. Yeah. And uh, this movie set strikes me as the embodiment of risky behavior. And as the sheriff said yesterday, he said, this was no accident. I think he's right. Even if it were an accident, if it's accompanied by gross negligence and recklessness, it rises to the level of a crime. Dr. John Lott Jr., thanks so much for being with us. Uh, an expert certainly on gun safety and president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for listening.